Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Biden is addressing Congress, but for the first time ever, not all members of Congress were invited. We will ask Congressman Ralph Norman if he got an invitation or he got snubbed and Joe Biden ran away from the press as if he were scared of getting in trouble with members of his staff for answering questions. Former White House Press Secretary Hogan Gidley is here to tell us if President Trump was ever afraid of getting in trouble with his staff and I bet you can guess that answer. And Ben Burkwam is back at the border and he has some brand new video that you have to see. All of that and more tonight on Dr. Gina Primetime. It has been almost 100 days since Joe Biden shuffled his way into that Oval Office and tonight, Biden will finally give an address to a joint session of Congress. Now you can watch it right here live on RAV and then we will have the reaction from the live from Studio 6B crew. So you don't want to miss all of that. And because the left is still trying to drag out this pandemic and to milk it for all of all it's worth, the House chamber that can hold 1,600 people will only allow around 200 people to attend. And this is how the crowd would look normally, but not tonight. The rules tonight, as laid out by Democrat leaders Pelosi and Schumer, say that 100 congressmen and 100 senators will be there rather than the usual 525 lawmakers and all of their guests. And the chief justice will be there solo instead of the entire Supreme Court. And only two members of the cabinet will attend. Now, for some reason, it's important for Democrats to signal to America that everything is definitely not back to normal from COVID. Don't even think that. It's not even close. And the Democrats must still be granted the power to tell you where you can go, what you can do, what you should wear on your face, how many people you can have around you, whether or not you can go to restaurants or bars or concerts or church or anywhere. Nothing in D.C. must be allowed to appear normal these days to continue pushing the fear that the virus that has a 99.5% survival rate is not over yet. Joe Biden spends his days hiding from the press except on the special occasion where he can walk out to a microphone, read a scripted remark, appear to be part of the day-to-day -day operations at the White House, and then shovel his way back into the East Wing to hide for a few more days of comfort. Now, it's clear that he's not in control of a whole lot of things these days, including, sadly, his mind. He let this slip yesterday after he gave some scripted remarks to reporters on the White House lawn. Watch. Will you make it faster to get for them to get the vaccine, the vaccines we will get soon? India, they're suffering at what this moment. What do you moment. say to the folks in India? Well, you Look, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to, this is the last question I'll take. And I, I'm really going to be in trouble. 
really in trouble. Who exactly are you in trouble with, Mr. Biden? He's supposed to be the boss, the most powerful man in the world. He's supposed to radiate that. Did he look like the leader of the free world to you right there? Or has he ever since he shuffled into the White House to begin with? Uh, anyway, I remember when President Trump was in the White House, everyone knew he was the boss. There was no mistaking it. Could you have ever, ever imagined President Trump saying he needed to stop taking questions for the press or he was going to get in trouble with some mysterious person who apparently lorded over him? None of us remember a moment like that. And I can tell you personally that no one dictated a schedule or what he could say to President Trump. One day, a couple of years ago, during a visit to the White House, the president graciously took time out of his day, unscheduled, to spend a little time with me when he spotted me in the White House. He asked me some questions, and he always does this. One of my favorite things about him, he likes to hear what you, the Americans, outside of the Beltway, we're thinking about a range of different issues. He had a full schedule that day, and General John Kelly, who was the chief of staff at that time, was clearly unhappy that the president was veering away from his schedule. But see, the president always saw what you think and what people in flyover country and what people outside the Beltway thought as far more important than what people inside the Beltway think. There was no chance the president was going to scurry away afraid that he would be in some sort of trouble for listening to the American people. Not a chance. President Trump knew one thing. He was the boss and he acted like it all the time. He took time to make friends from out of town feel welcome. And he wanted to learn what someone who was thinking and hearing, who he knew kept their ear to the ground, who didn't live inside of D.C. That's how he kept himself grounded. And I talked to him about this many times. And I learned later that at the same time, inside the office, the president of the EU commission and several cabinet members were inside waiting for the president in the Oval Office to negotiate a trade deal. And it was also reported later that the president won some amazing concessions from the EU president that day in that very meeting. Now, after the Oval Office negotiation, President Trump and the EU president held a press conference in the Rose Garden. And the press fired questions at President Trump, as they always did. And he, as you know, allowed an almost daily press conference during his administration. He never worried that the press conference would go too long or that he would say too much. He didn't worry about getting in trouble with anyone, most especially his own staff. He didn't run away from anything. President Trump was the be-all and end-all boss. He was the president of the free world and he knew it. Someone else who was there that day and the person who I was actually there to meet with that day was the White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley. You can see him pictured there with Larry Kudlow at that exact White House press conference in the Rose Garden that I just spoke about. And he also happens to be here with me right now. Hogan, great to see you as always. Thanks for being with us tonight. Sure. You were there to meet me, Dr. Gina, but you traded up when the president came by and let you talk to him <laughs> for a while. That's for sure. Well, you and I were both a little surprised when he saw me from the complete other end, uh, the, the West Wing to the East Wing, and came running out to greet friends because that's, that's what he right. did. When he saw friends in from out of town, he wanted to make sure that they felt welcome. And because he really does, as you know, 
um, always liked to hear from people that are outside the Beltway, or, or, or as president, he always liked to hear from people right. outside the Beltway, and he knew you and I talk to people from, you know, you and I are both from places that don't get heard from a lot inside the Beltway. And, and he always took time to probe on that, at least with me, and I know he did the same thing with you, although your questions, your experiences with him are way beyond extensive. Mine, mine less so then, but you know, um, that's one of my favorite things about him was that he did take time, but he also took time, and you know this better than anybody in your capacity as uh, Deputy Press Secretary, to really field questions from the press almost almost to such a degree that the press even was amazed at how many questions they he would take from them never fearing getting in trouble as joe biden said from anyone correct absolutely let's not forget a lot of times he would have a cabinet meeting right there in the cabinet room next to my office and he'd say he wanted the press in there they'd stay in there for two hours sometimes three uh, a long time then later in the day he'd have you know, a meeting in the Oval Office, he'd call the press in for that. They'd be in there for 45 minutes to an hour, depending. On his way out to Marine One to go to an event, he'd stop and talk to the press again, sometimes for 30 minutes, sometimes for an hour, out in the sun, out in the cold, didn't bother him at all. He'd get on a helicopter and then go do a two-and-a-half-hour rally in some town across, uh, uh, you know, the, the country somewhere. So he consistently gave information to the press. He was definitely not worried about staffers and what we thought about it. And that's the fact is, you know, we are there to make his job easier. He's not there to make our job easier. And we tried to do that on a daily basis because the president felt as though he needed to get his message out directly to the American people without the filter of the mainstream media or or network news anchors uh, across this country. He wanted to make sure the people heard directly from him. That was part of his brilliance. It was also part of the strategy to make sure they heard from the president every single day, multiple times a day. And I do find it ironic now that even back then, the media would tell us they wanted more access. They loved six hours of Donald Trump a day, but they wanted more. And now all of a sudden they have a president in Joe Biden who gives them a few minutes a day at best, and they somehow seem to be fine with that. Like it's not a big deal. They get enough from Jen Psaki, enough from the other cabinet officials They don't need a lot from the president of the United States. That is not the attitude that so many in the press corps had with us privately. They wanted more of Donald Trump. They seem to want less of Joe Biden. And of course, when you see what he's done in his policies and when you see him speak, I think the American people want a whole lot less of him too. When you hear Jen Psaki refer to Joe Biden, she so often talks about how transparent he is. You know, you can call him all of the names you want to call him, but when most everything he says is scripted, I, I'm going to let you break down how, what percentage of that you think is scripted, because I think you have a lot more insight on that than I do. But most things he says appear to me to be scripted looking in from the outside. But you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to give me your best guess, and this is unofficial, um, as to how much of what Joe Biden says is scripted versus how much of what Donald Trump said was scripted. Oh, one percent maybe of what Donald Trump said was ever scripted, and I, I'd say one percent of what Joe Biden says is ever unscripted. It seems like he did this during the campaign. Remember, everything was conducted from a basement. 
Um, it was you know, scripted on a teleprompter. He couldn't even get through that nine times out of 10. When he got on the campaign trail and have one event a day, did Joe Biden, he called on a couple of reporters. He knew the questions. He knew the answers because they were right there in front of him. When he finally held a press conference uh, with, the, with the White House press corps, forget the fact for a moment that most of them you know, couched the questions in a way that made Joe Biden look so good, what they never did for Donald Trump. But, but, but Joe Biden you know, looked down his notes to find out who was in the room, called on that person, and then read scripted answers about his foreign policy as well. Um, that, that's Im important, and it's impactful for this reason. Tonight, you're going to see Joe Biden scripted again with his address to the nation. But it's not just the American people watching it. It's not just elected members of Congress. It's the world watching our president, because... He is the leader of the free world, and he has control over so many things. To watch him bumble and stumble through uh, you know, a, a simple press conference, a simple announcement with a teleprompter, it doesn't make the, uh, you know, this country look good. It doesn't give a lot of assurances to the American people. But Hogan, is he the leader of the free world if he is not the person writing his things, if he's fearing that he's going to get in trouble for answering press questions. I mean, I realize this is not the kind of questions we ever really want to answer as Americans about the person who's sitting in the Oval Office. But I mean, the rest of the world is asking these kinds of questions. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed if we're going to be honest in our approach to how we display or report the news, right? Yeah, and, and that's an interesting question. I, I used to get, um, you know, to speak to college kids a lot. And if you'll allow me, I'll explain. They would ask me questions repeatedly about, what happens, Hogan, if you don't agree with something the president's doing? How do you square that? And I, I would always ask the class, how many out there voted in this last election? And they'd all raise their hand because they were savvy and experienced, um, you know, with, with with school and government, they wanted to be involved. And then I would say, how many of you voted for me? Nobody raised their hand, shockingly <laughs> enough. Darn. But the same, thing, the same thing applies here. And that is, no one voted for the woke staffers that he has um, you know, in the White House. No one voted for these radicals he has in cabinet posts. No one did. But for whatever reason, Joe Biden continues to do whatever they want him to do. And I hate to say it, because Donald Trump really coined it and was the first president in you know, decades to do it. He made promises on the trail that he kept in the Oval Office. Well, guess what? Joe Biden made a lot of promises, too. And those promises were scripted by radicals to implement a Green New Deal, to open up our borders and beg people to come into this country illegally and unlawfully, to get rid of our energy independence so we'd have to rely on other nations to get um, oil and gas. You see that with gas prices going up. Um, those are just a few things that Joe Biden promised he would do. Raise your taxes by $10 trillion. Guess what? He's come through on all of those promises. The only thing he lied about, it seems, on the campaign trail, was that he would do this in a bipartisan manner. He has refused to work with Republicans. He has not given an inch. His definition of work with Republicans is basically saying, you do what I want, and if you don't, I'm going to roll you and do it anyway. And so I think 
there's an interesting dynamic between what Donald Trump was and what Joe Biden was, because it appears as though the man we currently have in the Oval Office um, is, is, is I, I guess you could say he's a puppet, because we said that on the campaign, but it's more than that. I think he's embraced this radical ideology and decided that he's going to go out, and if he goes out, he's going to go out you know, uh, on fire, because he absolutely is going to do everything he can to erode the successes for real Americans that Donald Trump put in place and replace them with America last policies. And I think that's dangerous and it's disappointing. Hogan, Biden's big address to the nation is finally happening tonight. Let me play you some of the reaction of President Trump's State of the Union address last year. And I want to see if you think this is the same way the media will respond to Joe Biden tonight. Listen. This was a speech written by a college student for someone else trying to use big words to impress that the person who was reciting it did not know the meaning of the words. But it was as blood-soaked and lawless and, you know, fantastical in terms of its relation to the truth as ever. Uh, yes, the president had some heartwarming moments during this speech, but he was also engaging in some deeply divisive rhetoric uh, aimed at immigrants, aimed at Latinos. And George, you have to think about those dozens of dreamers in the audience tonight. What they are thinking as they hear the president talk about this, as they see the divisions there on the floor, concerned that they could face deportation. I think we've Let's ever seen. It, it was, it was the president trolling the Democrats. Yes, I, I, I saw this as a as a psychotically incoherent speech with cookies and dog poop. How can anyone see this as a good speech? How can anyone see this as unifying when he is spewing out lies? But I don't remember a time uh, when, when you would watch a State of the Union address being delivered by a president who is, I guess you could say, actively betraying the country. I'll just let you react. Okay, let's unpack this for a moment. I remember looking at a poll after one of President Trump's State of the Union addresses. It basically said that the people who watched it themselves, saw it live, had about a 75% you know, approval of the speech. About 75% of the people approved of it. The ones who saw it clipped up by the mainstream media and watched the commentary had about a 35% approval of the speech itself. That tells you all you need to know about how the media can color people's um, thoughts after, before, during um, one of these speeches. But in addition to that, and I touched on the bipartisanship before, Donald Trump went to the very place where a lot of the Democrats made a lot of claims over the last years, and he actually gave them an olive branch. Does anyone remember paid family leave? Something Democrats mm. said they wanted forever until Donald Trump said he wanted it too? Does anyone um, you know, remember getting rid of NAFTA, something Democrats said they wanted forever, that Donald Trump did, and all of a sudden they didn't like it anymore? I mean, look, he did talk about criminal justice reform, something Democrats have wanted forever, too, until Donald Trump brought it up. Also, from that same podium, you heard a lot of folks over the years on the Democrat side say they wanted a wall to make sure that our country was safe and secure. Donald Trump goes in there and says, you know what, I'm going to make good on that promise. And they were angry about that, too. It didn't matter what he said. They were just against it, even though they'd been for it before. And State of the Union addresses are unique because a lot of times there's different things going on in the country and you have a lot of different uh, information flying around. This is a monopoly of television cameras tonight that the leader of the free world gets 
in order to put forth a message and a vision for the country. And I have to tell you, what Joe Biden's going to offer up tonight, you heard some of the descriptions of Donald Trump's policies, which, of course, weren't, that was not true and, and a lie what the media said. You're going to get a lot of radical leftist ideology tonight, the socialism and the communism we talked about. You even saw the headline from, from CNN already doing the spinning, saying it's moderate radicalism, whatever that means. So I'm just going to tell you, regardless of all the things that, that, that Joe Biden's going to put out tonight that will negatively impact the American people, the media will say it is absolutely wonderful and it is smart and it is the time to do it. It's going to be very similar to what the debates were like. Whenever Joe Biden got yeah. up there, all he had to do was say hello, and they all gave him a thumbs up, and it was 100 um, percent support from the mainstream media. Tonight will be no different. The American people, though, are going to see through it because they don't like these policies so far. The polls show it. Well, we know he won't go too far off script because he just got apparently got in trouble for uh, taking a question. <laughs> so, Hogan Kidley, uh, we're all just uh, here to watch, I guess. Thank you so much for being with us and all your, all your wisdom from your days in the White House. Thank you. Thanks for the time, Gina. Coming up, our border correspondent Ben Burkwam is here with a brand new piece of footage from the crisis at the border. It will make your blood boil if we haven't done that for you already. And also, it will break your heart. And that's always the hard part. But we always have good news for you because this is Dr. Gina Primetime, so don't go away. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back. Now, even though one, the one person in charge of the southern border crisis, Kamala Harris, has yet to make it down to the area to see the devastation firsthand, our very own Real America's Voice RAV correspondent Ben Burkwam and crew are there. And the Save America's Freedom bus tour started Saturday in Atlanta, Georgia, has gone all the way there and ends today in McAllen, Texas. Ben Burkwam joins us right now. Ben, you talked to some angel moms today. Tell us about that and show us a little of it. Uh, thanks, Dr. Gina. We're here just outside the wall. We were here all day today. We had uh, Border Patrol President, Union President, Brandon Judd. We had four angel moms. We had locals, uh, Tommy Fisher, who built this wall, beautiful wall behind me. Um, but really the stories that you just cannot not listen to. I want to invite all of Americans to listen to this. It's a short little segment from Angel Mom Agnes Gibney. While Joe Biden is going to be giving a speech tonight from Washington, he has yet to come here. Like you said, Kamala Harris has yet to come here. And they are completely ignoring people like Agnes Gibney. Joe Biden took everything away and did everything that President Trump did out of spite, out of hate. Things were working quite well in this country, and American people ought to be outraged by this. Absolutely. Because every legal immigrant that follow the law feels left out, feels like it's a slap in the face to all of us who follow the laws. And, you know, the saddest part, Agnes, uh, yesterday was her son's, the 19th anniversary of her son's 
murder. She's from California. His gravestone is in California, but she was out here as we have a Mexican helicopter, military helicopter flying behind us. This crisis continues. She came out here. Uh, she usually spends that anniversary, the last 18 of those anniversaries, she has spent at the graveside of her son. But she came out here this year because it was that important to her that America hears the story and that they don't forget about her son. While her son's killer has already been let out of prison, thankfully he was deported under President Trump, uh, she doesn't know if he's come back into the United States. It is just, and that's one story of tens of thousands of angel families across this country who have lost their children because of these policies and the policies that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris continue to push forward. What an incredible contrast you have laid out for us, Ben, like no other media is doing, that uh, Joe and Kamala, while they are in D.C., being the elitist they are, and there are those angel moms suffering. Thank you for giving a voice to them uh, today on your special and as you do every single night on uh, almost every night on this show as well. Thank you so much, Ben Burkwam. Thanks, Dr. Gina. Now let's bring in our next guest to discuss the crisis at our southern border. He is Congressman Ralph Norman of South Carolina's 5th District. Welcome, Congressman Norman. Thanks for being with us tonight. My pleasure, Gina. Vice President Harris says the demands for her to visit the border um, are a political game. How can she say this, though, Congressman, with a straight face, with everything that we're seeing, even in the mainstream media, down south? How can she say this? couple of things, Gina. I think it shows her arrogance, her aloofness, her disconnection with the American people. I, I will tell you one thing. Uh, for those of us who, who visited the border, it's, uh, it's not a game with the Border Patrol agents who are uh, fighting a, ba a losing battle, uh, who are changing diapers instead of being on the border protecting this country. It's not a game for those children who are used as bait by the drug cartels to attract uh, the millions that are going to come unfettered into this country. Uh, it's, it's not a game for the medical workers who uh, basically are just trying to get basic information, no testing for COVID whatsoever. Um, it's, a, uh, it's amazing that the vice president would make that kind of comment and not have the, uh, the feelings or the desire to come to a situation that any, by any sense of the imagination uh, is a crisis. And, you know, we're adding uh, 160 to 170,000 uh, people into this country uh, without knowing wh where they came from, not, without knowing the background, without knowing anything about them. We've got a military crisis uh, because of just that, uh, that the people that don't have our best interests. We've got a medical crisis for Dr. Fauci to not be here. Um, and, you know, with, with Kamala Harris, Gene, it's been 35 days since her last press conference where she's even, it's like they're trying to ignore it. But I'll tell you, the groups, the congressmen have gone there, the senators that have gone there, this is a serious crisis. And uh, I don't care how much the press wants to cover it up, it's not going away, sadly. And we're at the point of no return, to be honest, because once they ship the uh, the illegal uh, immigrants all across this country, there's no turning back. How do you get them back? You don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but by the looks of the Biden administration, it doesn't seem to have any sort of plan to combat what's happening at the border. They don't even seem to be 
formulating a plan. In fact, I haven't even heard them clarify that they are. But realistically, how long are the American people supposed to let a national crisis like this continue without demanding some sort of real action from the White House? Well, this president's been in office, what, 100 days? And the, the fact that he's, he's letting this go uh, like he is, I think the American people get it. But, uh, you know, as you know, the press, uh, as hard as they were on Donald Trump with children in cages, uh, would not even let us take pictures to show the American people. Uh, and, you know, we've got to, to keep telling the story because the mainstream media is not. They would do anything to protect this president. Uh, and it'll be interesting tonight whether he addresses that because, you know, whenever you let uh, unfettered access to America, uh, to the average family, would you let anybody in your house from a foreign country? Uh, the only end game that I see that this administration is trying to, to enact, they look on every illegal immigrant as a potential voter and they want to start them on a path to citizenship. And uh, it's, it's a dangerous situation. I mean, look at what's going to happen to our hospitals, our, uh, our schools, uh, all the programs that will have to house and feed those that come here. They don't know the language. They uh, don't know the, the customs. And they ship to uh, towns and cities all across America that are not ready to do this. And it's such an insult for those who did it legally. And, yeah, um, you know, it really is. And, and we also don't know what all diseases they're carrying in addition to COVID. I lived on the border, and you just don't know. There are all sorts of diseases coming and drugs and other things coming across that border. Congressman, we're out of time, but I have to ask you, tonight's Biden's big address to a joint session of Congress, 200 congressmen and senators were invited. Uh, were you invited or were you snubbed? Well, as, as interesting you ask, uh, one of the low-level administrators called our office and talked to our scheduler and we were not invited. They asked if, if we were, uh, would I be interested in coming? And Gina, we're not even in session. Uh, the majority of, uh, of well, all, the, all the House members are gone in different places. We're having meetings via Zoom and, and Skype. So nobody's yeah. even in the chambers. And yeah. uh, this, is a, this is something that is, is a farce to begin with. I don't think they want the majority of the congressmen to see uh, how this president is can read a teleprompter, and it'll be interesting what he uh, what he says to the American people. <laughs> sure will. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, Congressman Norman. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Coming up, I will be talking with Alan Dershowitz about the censorship in America and his brand new book that has some answers for you. You don't want to miss this. Stick around. Dr. Gina Primetime. Right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Dr. Gina 
Prime Time. So glad that you are with us. Hey, don't forget to check out my podcast. You can go to justthenews.com. Click on the little vines up in the corner. We call that the hamburger. And you can look, look at podcasts there. Scroll down to my face and you can catch my podcast there along with many others, including John Solomon's himself. Now, yesterday, the governor, uh, government watchdog group, I'll get this out, on Transparency Judicial Watch announced that they have a 500-page document that shows that California officials were in cahoots with tech giants like Twitter, Facebook, and Google in order to censor speech about the 2020 elections. Judicial Watch also says a communications firm has linked Biden's campaign in having a decision role on which posts would be censored with what were labeled misinformation daily briefings. The document is part of a public records request from a December report that the California's Office of Election Cybersecurity had been monitoring social media posts and had successfully asked big tech to remove or flag at least two dozen messages. And with that, I'd like to bring in my next guest. He is the author of the case against the new censorship and Harvard Law professor, Alan Dershowitz. Welcome to the show, Alan. Great to have you with us tonight. Thank you. Great to be on. Thank you. Uh, what does this information mean specifically to the general public? How will it affect the rank and file person out there, uh, you know, just trying to live their life and do their own thing? It just confirms the danger we're in when big tech can tell us what we can see, what we can read, what we can hear. Um, sometimes it's about elections. Sometimes it's about the virus. Sometimes it's about uh, other uh, other issues. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, recently, uh, Bobby Kennedy, the son of the former attorney general, challenged me to debate him on vaccinations. He's a environmental lawyer, but he's also a skeptic about vaccinations, and I'm more supportive of vaccinations based on science. So we had a long, long debate, and I persuaded some people, he persuaded some people, and then Google, uh, YouTube took the whole thing down, saying it's not a debatable issue. Dershowitz is right, Kennedy is wrong, so we don't want to have a debate. Well, I don't want to win the debate by default. I want to win the debate by persuading people I'm right, and if he persuades more people he's right, he should win. The same thing is true about an election. We shouldn't be turning things off and not allowing people to hear arguments about elections. I have my views on the election. People have different views on the election. Everybody should be able to hear whatever views they want, particularly on large, giant social media like uh, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. <clears throat> but Alan, a lot of folks uh, that your colleagues, uh, you know, in particular, they don't agree with you. I mean, it's obvious they don't agree with you because they are in the business of censoring. And, and so when you tell them what you just told me, what do they say to you? That I'm out of touch, that I haven't changed my views in 70 years, which is all true. I've been advocating free speech since I was old enough to, to argue, which was at a pretty young age. Um, they argue that, no, free speech is uh, patriarchal and colonialist, and uh, it favors the wealthy over the poor. Uh, the same arguments made by Stalin, by Mao, by uh, Castro. Uh, anybody who thinks they have a monopoly on the truth um, don't care about dissenting views. What do you need dissent? What do you need to process? We know it's true. We know that every white policeman who shoots a black person, we know that he's guilty of a crime. We know that every woman who accuses a man, she's telling the truth. He's lying. We know that the election was fair. We know that the vaccine either works or doesn't work. Everybody 
on the side of repression of free speech seems to think they have monopoly on truth. And if they know the truth, what do you need to have? These things like due process and free speech and uh, dissent, they're just cumbersome interferences with uh, a utopian result. That's not America. That's the Soviet Union. Yeah, and it's it's so failed every at every time it's been tried. And most of us who know any history understand that. So I, I would love to hear you debate this with any one of them because it seems to me like once you've explained that, then then maybe you could get somewhere with them. But no, huh? No, I don't think so. First of all, they think there's a conflict between on the one hand free speech and on the one hand and the other hand equality. And I tell them, look, look at the golden age of free speech from about 1960 to about 2000. We had the greatest expansion of free speech ever, and I was part of all of those cases. I was one of the law clerks on the New York Times versus Sullivan. I helped litigate the uh, Pentagon Papers case, the I Am Curious Yellow case, the Hair case, you name it. I was involved in all of these cases. And during the time when we were seeing an expansion of free speech, we were also seeing an expansion of equality, racial equality, gender equality, sexual orientation equality. There's no conflict between the quest for equality and open and free speech, but these folks are so sure that they know what kind of equality they want, they don't want dissenting views to be heard. Uh, it's just mind-boggling to those of us who, who see that history and think that it's so necessary that we be able to continue to debate these issues, because if we can't, who gets to decide where the absolute truth is? That's the part that I've never completely computed when they get to this elitist argument that you're talking about, well, but it is fascinating. They get to decide because they're in control of universities today. They're in control of Twitter. They're in control of Simon and Schuster um, and uh, Norton Books, which won't publish books by certain authors. Um, right. uh, it's the people today who are in control of free speech. And so because they're in control, they see no reason for having dissent. It's free speech for me, but not for thee. Yeah. Well, today, uh, Rudy Giuliani's home was searched, as you know, by FBI investigators and some of the other attorneys involved in some of the president's defense. And we all know that he was one of the central figures, figures around President Trump who was fighting to expose problems within the election. Um, is this part of the new censorship that you wrote about in your book? Because you can really shut someone up if they know they're going to be investigated. If you know your life is going to be invaded, you might not take on that case, whatever that may be. It's a, it's a very stifling prospect for a lot of a lot of attorneys especially but a lot of just activists even right and you know when i was asked by president trump to uh, defend him in front of the senate i realized that i was opening myself up to all kinds of condemnation criticism investigation sure. etc i have nothing to hide so i have nothing to fear but uh yes it's all part of the same process everybody knows on that side that trump was guilty so why would anybody defend him i got a lot of that from people who were good friends and wouldn't talk to me anymore. Uh, I lost 15 pounds on what I call the Trump diet. People stopped inviting me to dinner, so I lost weight. Um, but uh, it, it really did affect uh, friendships. And people today don't understand why you need to defend people who you don't agree with. Um, you know, they, they don't understand what John Adams did when he defended the people who were accused of the Boston Massacre or what Abraham Lincoln did when he defended people who he knew were guilty or what Clarence Darrow or Thurgood Marshall did. Um, you know, just failure to understand history and failure to understand that, you know, in South Africa, people were forbidden from defending Mandela. When I went to the Soviet Union, I was forbidden from defending dissonance. And uh, today they're going after Rudy Giuliani and tomorrow they'll come after 
other people who defend controversial figures. And I think you ought to be very, very careful before you allow a search of a lawyer's home. Exactly. Lawyers especially, it would seem to me anyway. Um, and you do, you, you point out, you know, you look back at history, often it is that lone voice, in, it seems, in the wilderness in history that has ultimately been triumphant for those who don't have a voice. You know, you look at the, whether it's the Solzhenitsyn or the Bonhoeffers in, in history who, who, who really came through. But I guess my question for you knowing the people that you know and, and, and really having their ear in ways that many in my audience do not have, how far gone are we? Are any of them still willing to listen to this argument that there is a really important place in history for free speech and lack of censorship if we ever do face again, God forbid, in our history, something as tragic as, 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 you know, Nazi rule or as slavery or one of those oppressive things where, where the voice of the elite is on the wrong side of history. And it, it, it will take that uncensored voice of somebody rising up and being fearless in their speech again. Sure. I used to give my students an essay defending slavery written by Calhoun. There were many people who defended slavery back in the day, and it was debated, and they lost in the court of public opinion and then ultimately on the battlefield in the Civil War. And it is a great danger that we prevent people from having points of view because the truth, as Stalin knew it, turned out to be false. The truth, as Castro knew it, turned out to be false. The truth, as Hitler knew it, turned out to be false. Um, you know, so many truths have turned out not to be the ultimate truth after we've allowed uh, debate in the marketplace of ideas. And if you shut down debate, if you allow the new censors to come on board, and the new censors are more dangerous than the old censors. You know, the old censors were the government. And I fought the government for years and years and years, and I won almost every case that I brought on First Amendment grounds. But today I can't bring cases because the new censors have their own First Amendment rights. Google and, 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 and Facebook and Twitter claim their own First Amendment rights. They're not the government. They're our friends. They're our students. They're our there are children and our nieces and nephews. And so the new censors, the good censors, are much harder to fight against than the bad old censors uh, of the old days. And so that's why I wrote my book, The Case Against the New Censorship, because the new censorship is even more dangerous than the old censorship. Because they say, I just want to spell this out and, and, and emphasize it for this audience, because they say they are private companies, according to your new book, this is how they're getting away with being immune, correct? And so that's what we keep hearing. So my question for you is, what can we do about it? Well, first of all, the statute, it's called Section 230 of the Decency and Communication Act, which exempts the social media from being sued for defamation because it was intended that these social media would just be platforms. They wouldn't censor. Anything could go on them. But now that they've become publishers like the New York Times or like your network or like my podcast, um, they shouldn't be given the same exemptions that uh, just platforms are given. Everybody should have to check box. Are you a platform, in which case you can't censor? Or are you a publisher, in which case you can censor, but you lose your exemption? We can at least begin to fight this censorship legally that way. The other way to fight is in the court of public opinion. Create better alternatives to a YouTube. Uh, for example, Rumble now is a competitor. They don't take things down. I had a debate with that with uh, with uh, Bobby Kennedy. They YouTube took it down. Rumble put it up, and that's the way it should be. Uh, you make a better mass drop, and people will come to your door. And people have to begin to compete. 
with the sensorial uh, big tech. It's going to be hard, and the antitrust laws maybe can be helpful in that regard too. All right, well, quickly before we go, I want to give you a chance to pitch us on, I think you've given us a lot of good reasons, but any other great reasons on why we should buy your book and, of course, where all we can get it? Well, not only buy it, but act on it, because the only way to defeat the censors is to defeat them in the court of public opinion. You can get them on, you can get it on Kim, Kim, Kindle, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it anywhere that books are sold. Uh, so far, nobody has banned my books. You know, Simon & Schuster is now under pressure to ban any books written by any uh, people who work for Donald Trump. Um, Norton banned a book that was written on Philip Roth because the person who wrote it was accused of various things. Uh, so my book is available. It hasn't been banned yet. So get it while it's still ready to be read before they ban it. That's right. That's right. Hurry and get it before they do. They yeah. did take my book down from Amazon, believe it or not. So you never know. It can happen. Thank you so much, Alan Dershowitz. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you on this show. And, and, and thank you for your fight in this. I think uh, as a daughter raised from one of the most leftist activists you will ever know, um, who grew up to think exactly opposite of him, but I still love him, grew up in the field of civil discourse. This is just one of those things that matters so much to me. And I, and I appreciate you... Yes, a civil discourse. Yes, thank you. And I, and I appreciate you uh, um, b being on the forefront of this. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Coming up, we have some news you didn't know and our meme of the day. So keep it here for more Dr. Gina Primetime. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Time for some news that I bet you didn't know. And here with us, as always, is our own Jessica Rivera. Jessica, what do you have for us today? Well, Dr. Gina, a new bill here in Colorado allows for 24 public schools who currently have American Indian mascots to be fined $25,000 a month for the imagery. The bill sponsor, Democrat State Senator, Jesse Danielson says, it's a really harmful practice. It hurts native and non-native kids and perpetuates negative stereotypes. It's bad for our community in general and it's long overdue to do away with this practice. Dr. Gina, the bill gives the schools until June 2022 to change their mascot or get the approval from tribal leaders to use the mascot. But here's the reality. Polls actually show that Native Americans on as a whole do not find mascots offensive. You know who does? Those who are able to make money off the controversy. And Dr. Gina, I say that because mascots have always been, and I think you could attest to this, and will always be a sign of significant pride. So my question is, why are people asking the question, why have there been so many mascots of Native Americans? Well, the answer is simple. It's because many Americans see Native Americans as the ultimate warriors and the epitome of strength. So actually, if you look at it that way, it's a disservice and it's an injustice to the American Indian community 
to actually push for their removal from anything, just as it was for the removal of Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben, and other black American faces on some of America's top-selling products. Because as the saying goes, Dr. Gina, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and maybe that is really what the left is pushing for, and people should maybe question that. Yeah, you're exactly right, Jessica. You and I have talked about this lots of times. You know, lots of time. You know, if you take away those iconic figures um, from our history, then people are going to forget. Because if we didn't have those images out there of those warriors, I'm not sure where our images would come from. The thing that kids learn because they don't learn history anymore. We can't even hardly do Thanksgiving anymore. Um, those kinds of things were some of the images I had of Native Americans in my childhood. Uh, what are the images going to be? Casinos? I, I mean, really our modern day image of what Native Americans do. You see on billboards driving down the highway, you see casinos. I don't know if, if I were in, uh, Native American. Uh, I'm not sure. Not sure that's what I, well, I think I'd want that historic uh, warrior image if they're not going to get to study the history books and learn about them. I, I just, I, I'm not sure this serves anyone except for a bunch of attorneys making a lot of money like you're saying. All right, Jessica, stay with us because it is time for our meme of the day. The meme says, after six months of listening to people talk with their masks on, I finally understand what Charlie Brown's teacher was saying. Jessica, I have such a hard time understanding people in masks, don't you? I do, especially, you know, when you're out and about. But what's so funny is the first thing that came to mind when I saw this was high school in Catholic school and nothing against that, but kind of just wanted to not listen to the adults. And that's kind of what we joked about, wah, 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 wah. Um, but really, <laughs> yeah, and we, now we've got that all the time. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And thank you so much to all of you. You're home here for Real News, RAV TV, Real America's Voice. Hug your children. Love your God. Don't forget to join us tomorrow. Big stuff in store. Go boldly now and live the truth.